This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. Welcome to the wildlife. My name is Rob Armstrong. Before we go to the main interview tonight, we're going to bring a little segment in where we will do news, views, and updates on interviews. Tonight, an update on the Inglewood meat processing application and also Victorian kill quotas of kangaroos. With me is Alyssa from the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance. Alyssa, the Loddenshire Council have made a decision on the application permit for the kangaroo meat processing plant. Can you tell us what's happened? Yeah, thanks, Rob. It has been a really big day for us. So essentially, uh, a few months ago, an application came forward from the Campaspe Meat Company wanting to turn a disused abattoir just one kilometre out of the township of Inglewood um, into a kangaroo processing facility along with other wild game like deer, but mostly kangaroo. And they would be looking to feed that facility with a minimum uh, 1,000 kangaroos per week. And they did say in an ABC article that they might go up to 5,000 kangaroos per week. So that was really scary for us. Victorian Kangaroo Alliance joined with several other organisations. We didn't even have a name at that point, but we joined with several other organisations and launched a really big campaign. We got heaps and heaps of media. You know, we had several petitions um, going up to thousands and thousands of signatures. 106 submissions were sent to council. And we also had a campaign where there was over 1,200 pledges sent to the London Valley Tourism Board pledging to boycott Inglewood if the plant went ahead. They, the council received only two submissions in favour of the processing facility. Anyway, we found out just earlier, just a couple of days ago, that the planning report had finally come in after all these months and that they've recommended on a technicality that the, that the council rejects proposal. Um, and that's because the proposal claimed to be a rural industry which is compatible with a rural living zone, the council found that it is in fact considered an industry, which is not compatible with that zone. So on that technicality, uh, they recommended to reject the facility. Throughout all of our protests, the council had been saying that they would abide by planning regulations. And I think that they'd sort of just use that to fob us off. And so they kind of backed themselves into a corner when the planning (laughs) officer then said that they should reject it. So sure enough, they rejected it. But boy, were they not happy about it. Wow. Um, Yeah. So they were really um, a lot of regret and disappointment and all these sorts of terms thrown around. You know, to to me, it's just it's so sad that they can't see the bigger picture here. You know, that the kangaroo harvesting program is not going to be around for long. Its lifespan is really, you know, looking bleak. Whereas they could be a hub for ecotourism if they had a bit of vision. And um, so tourism is worth more than any other industry to Australia. And ecotourism is one of the biggest sectors of that. And there were studies done quite recently which showed that the greatest interest to international travellers was wildlife. And so Australians really take their wildlife for granted, whereas, you know, people overseas, they're desperate to come and see that. So, you know, why not set up Inglewood as a hub for a beautiful kangaroo sanctuary and, you know, have the town filled with happy kids and school buses and things like that rather than tourists that are seeing, you know, cartloads of headless kangaroos coming in every day. Nobody's going to want to go to Inglewood under that circumstances. It's going to be a short-lived industry in any case. So they could have a thriving, money-making, job-producing ecotourism industry if they could just look past this sort of short-term carrot that they think this industry is 
and you know really be something beautiful and something that Australians can be can be really proud of. What disappointed me most was not one councillor on the Loddon Shire had the guts to stand up for our native wildlife. Yeah, it was really it honestly it was infuriating that they're just seeing this really short-term dollar sign. Yeah, and not looking not looking at that big picture that we do have these incredible animals that need to be protected. They don't need to be killed. They're being killed for money. And yeah, what a shame. What a shame that none of them none of them value this incredible asset that we have, you know, the the inherent value and also the financial value of wildlife alive. With us tonight is Helen Round from the East Trentham Wildlife Shelter. Good evening and hello, dear listener. The thing that I think really rocks me, as Alyssa was saying, the the Inglewood processing facility is a short-term plan. The the Kangaroo Pet Food Trial Review document back in 2018 said that the kangaroo industry could create up to 15 to 30 jobs. So the most jobs you're going to get out of this processing centre in Inglewood would be 10 jobs, and they're not guaranteed to go to locals. So the councillors are saying, you know, this is an industry for Inglewood that can create employment. I'm sorry, but 10 jobs that are mainly going to be shooters that travel around the state, it's not an employment opportunity. It's an employment lie. Yeah, they're just too dumb to think it through. (laughs) There's a... There's a massive lack of critical thinking skills within the Inglewood Council. But in this case, thank goodness the planning department from the start knew there was going to be a problem getting this uh, permit through. Just thank goodness they kept to the regulations or else we'd be still fighting. But Alyssa, this doesn't mean it's over. There are avenues for appeals and they can just move into a suitable zone. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. So yeah, look, we're under no illusions that you know this isn't um this is you know this fight for wildlife is never done and dusted. We never just get you know a solid win on anything. It seems um, they can take it to VCAT. They can look for a different location. Either way, it's going to be a really long, drawn out, and costly process for them. We have people who are on our side who will help us fight. Um, so we're willing to go to VCAT. Um, we take this to IBAC. You know, we, which is what we were planning to do if they'd if they'd approved it. So look, we're 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 right here. We'll keep fighting it. We'll keep fighting any advances there are to try and expand the commercial industry in Victoria. And I hope that they know that. That I think we've made ourselves pretty loud in this case, and that they know they're going to have a fight on their hands wherever they pop up. I believe there's also been some documentation that's just been released on quota numbers. So, yeah, they've re- released the statistics um, from the 2021 year um, in the commercial harvest, so-called harvesting program. And so we found out that they managed to kill just 66% of the quota, which does happen to be nearly uh, 64,000 kangaroos were killed. But it's really telling that despite all their rampant solicitation, um, that they only managed to get 66% of that quota. Despite that low number they've actually increased the commercial quota this year by another thirty-four thousand. so if they couldn't get the quota last year um, i don't know how they think that they're going to be able to make an even higher quota this year and also we found out that in 2021 like in previous years a third of those killed were female um, and often females will have a joey at foot um, 21,000 females killed so you know we could easily estimate about 20,000 dependent young were also killed. Helen, would you like to join this? Well, 
I just want to say, you know, 66% quota, when we compare it to figures across the country for actual takes, it's actually quite high. You know, the average take is, uh, you know, percentage of quota attained across the country is now sitting at about 15%. So it shows how overinflated kangaroo population numbers are. Now, the 66% attained here is because kangaroos aren't available to be shot around the country. And there's a lot of shooters that have come down to Victoria and they're advertising like crazy across multiple municipalities all over social media, doing leaflet drops, going to properties, searching for kangaroos to kill. So this is their concerted effort. This is their biggest effort. This is the highest concentration of shooters, highest concentration of reaching out. And all they could get to was 62%. Let's add to that figure that at least one, you know, another third for the Joey's loss that were the uncounted waste product. Thank you very much, Helen. We really don't want them shooting any percentage of our Victorian kangaroos. 106 submissions were received against the application for this permit to allow the processing of kangaroos at the Inglewood plant. These submissions were from groups, individuals. I know some shelters and the rescue organisations submitted submissions against the permit and only two submissions were in favour of it. It was a win on a technicality, but I'd like to cross to Alyssa to allow her just to give us the last word on this campaign as of today. Yeah, as much as we're sharpening our spears for the next fight, um, we do want to just take it take it some time to celebrate this win and um, say a big thank you to everyone who's put their heart and soul into it because it is a big day for us and it's nice just to have something to hold on to, um, some good news for once in the wildlife community. But, yeah, stay tuned um, and, yeah, stay prepared and tell your friends. Tell your friends to get on board and... Um, follow us at Victorian Kangaroo Alliance um, so they can be there for the next part because ultimately this is just one battle as part of a bigger war. And, um, yeah, we've hopefully got much many more victories yet to come. Listen, folks, this was a short update of what's been happening. Please stay with us. Uh, we will be uh, speaking with Helen and Alyssa in part two of the interview where we'll be looking at the complex issue of commercial harvesting of kangaroos and what has happened to the at-foot joeys this is the aussie animal show on triple a radio part two of the interview with Alyssa wormel from the victorian kangaroo alliance and helen round a rescuer and carer with the east trentham wildlife shelter in the last program we spoke about the horrific situation for victorian kangaroos but one thing that we skipped over a little bit was what happens to the at-foot joeys during the commercial kill. Alyssa, can we turn to you first? According to the rules and regulations of this pet food industry, what happens to the at-foot joeys? It's a little bit um, vague when it comes to at-foot joeys because the code of practice states that they need to be dispatched, um, though it acknowledges that they can be hard um, to hard to kill because they're highly mobile. Uh, even though they're dependent, they're very um, they're very fast and able to get away. 
In fact, in the Code of Practice, it, it suggests that perhaps you could just leave the dead mother there and wait for the at-foot joey to come back and then shoot the joey, which is just barbaric um, in the extreme. Uh, but so where the grey area is in Victoria is that there is actually no minimum weight um, for the commercial industry in Victoria, and we are seeing them stringing up extremely small-sized kangaroos, um, which are then going to be pet food. So unlike in other states where they need to kill and leave um, at foot joeys if they can catch them, which usually they can't, here they can if they can catch them, then they're fair game for the dog meat industry as well. And of course, um, these at foot joeys are not a part of the kill quota. Is that right? Yes, so they're not included. Um, in some of the reports, they'll say how many dependent young were killed. They haven't done that for 2021, but in previous years they have, um, and it's it's a horrific number, you know, like we're talking thousands and thousands of young ones being killed. But, yeah, it gets a bit blurred because are they counting the outfoot joeys that they are stringing up? Are they counting them as young destroyed or they're just being counted as adults, um, you know, being processed? And I don't have an answer for that. Who would be able to answer that? Anyone? My attempts at getting any answers from within the industry have proven to be pretty much futile. I've had three core questions which I've asked several times because there's community safety issues on different topics and nobody will give you an answer. They say you need to apply for an FOI, but you ask them what, what documents do I need? And they don't tell you. So, you know, and, and you might wait a very long time to get an FOI in any case. Honestly, yeah. I just despair trying to get information about the industry. Helen. I was going to say a few years ago, there was a document that was buried. It was um, a federal document from the IR, the RIRDC, it was rural, um, you know, rural industries development sort of document. And the government buried it because basically it concluded that at least 300,000 joeys were at foot joeys were being left, that, that their mothers were being shot and that these joeys were being left and that there was very little that the shooters could do to change that because mum gets shot, the joeys flee and then they can't hunt them down so we've got, you know, at least 300,000 joeys a year that are dying, um, dying of starvation, predation, hypothermia, um, psychological terror. And there's a phenomenon that we're seeing more and more in Victoria, and we call them the ghost joeys. And we're getting calls from areas where there's a lot of shooting um, in Dunkeld and, and the the, you know, these are joeys that their mothers have been shot and these poor little joeys are struggling to keep up. And as the winter months approach, it's going to get harder and harder for them without, without the milk and without the comfort of their mothers. And by the time most of these joeys get into care, they're nearly dead. So it can take months for them to die. And they're the uncounted victims along with the in-pouch joeys which are bludgeoned to death. So there's this awful phenomenon of animals that are suffering either, uh, you know, asphyxiated by having their throats cut and the joeys that are left behind to die slowly without their mums. It seems that the relevant authorities are not taking authority or at least not responsibility for what's happening out there. And, of course, as we covered last week uh, in the interview, 
it all happens out in the wild, in the bush, out of business hours of the management unit. But they assure us the moment they see anything untoward, they'll act accordingly. As long as it happens in front of their office, I imagine they'll be very uh, proactive. What can you do? What can you do? And, uh, and listen, it must be frustrating. People come to you, make contact with the organisation, the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance, because they have legitimate concerns and fears for what's happening to these young kangaroos. What do you tell them? Look, um, what could you say? There's, there's no sugarcoating the situation. It's an animal welfare crisis. Um, to have all these youngsters being abandoned um, to die slowly, a slow, horrific, inhumane death. And I, I think that it's a real misconception about kangaroos um, that joeys are independent from a young age. They're not. Um, they're highly dependent on their mothers until they're about, for grey kangaroos, about 18 months old. So that can be quite a big joey. And you can still see joeys that are nearly the size of their mothers sticking their head in the pouch for milk and comfort. And that they're just like, you know, human children in that sense. They need their mums. Just because they can hop around independently doesn't mean that they can survive. And I actually found a video online where a harvester takes, sorry, I put harvester in big, um, you know, air quotes because I hate that term. They're not a vegetable. Any case, um, so a shooter, a shooter takes a tiny pouch joey, kisses it on the head and releases it. Like, oh, you're free, you'll live. That was a tiny joey. Like, you know, that one was barely out of the pouch. Um, and, you know, and they said in the comments, oh, it had hard feet so it could survive. And, <laughs> like, you know, that's the equivalent of basically putting a one-year-old toddler, um, <laughs> you know, out in the street to fend for itself. It, it's it's going to die a horrific death. And they just don't seem to understand that. And I think a lot of people wouldn't realise that joeys are dependent on their mothers for such a long time. Perhaps we could approach that issue with Helen. Helen, you're a carer. You work at a wildlife shelter. You get a, a young at-foot joey in, whether mother was hit by a car or killed by the commercial meat industry, but you get a joey in. What treatment and what care does that animal need immediately? Okay, they need, well, obviously there's the food and milk, but there's the emotional comfort that they need. And quite often you'll need to give them oral Valium, depending on the size of the joey. They, they, they need a pouch to hide in, or if they're a bigger joey, they need a, a safe spot to retreat to. And it takes quite a period of time for us to earn that animal's trust because we're dealing with a traumatised animal who is missing its mum terribly. Some of them bond to you immediately. Others dislike you immensely because they link you to the loss of their mother. You need to buddy them up. You need to give them other kangaroos. And what we find is that when we buddy them up, they form friendships. And those friendships, once we release them, those friendships go on for years. They're, they're best friends. They, they stay together. And that's why, you know, we often put same sex together. I was looking tonight and two of the joeys that I released last year, Courtney and Pippi, are still together and they'll stay together for the rest of their lives. Waldo and Rita have been hanging out together for, for years. Matilda and Eric 
hung out together for four years before Matilda was killed in, an, in a Del Whip burn and Eric was killed by a dog attack from people taking their dog for a run in the forest. And just quickly, folks, please don't take your dogs for a run in the forest. One bite from a dog means a kangaroo will die a horrific death and it will take them weeks to die. So just keep your dog on a lead where there's wildlife. Thank you for pointing that out, Helen. One, one comment I, I'd want to make, and you know this sound. It's, to me, it's one of the most saddest sounds I've ever heard, and that's a young roo clucking for its mother. That sound like a, it's like a broken-hearted lamb. It's, sort of, it, it's awful. And they call, when they first come into care, they keep calling out for mum. And, and you try and fill that space. But, you know, what people don't realise is that kangaroos, you know, for the first 12 months of their lives, they have skin-on-skin -skin contact with their mum. They are constantly with their mothers. The bonds are very, very deep. They crash each other's children. They're, they're very tactile and they're very much a community. And, and when kangaroo shooting occurs, they see the community being shot to smithereens. They, you know, the psychological terror. And a recent study found that joeys in areas where harvesting takes place, the joeys don't play anymore. So where we see boxing and things where the kangaroos are safe, which, you know, is a beautiful part of, you know, of watching wild kangaroos, where shooting takes place, that boxing and that play and that chasing each other and and rest, you know, where they wrestle with each other's arms and, and grab each other's faces, that does not occur. And to me, that's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so speaking of them calling for their mothers, uh, the other thing I've heard and seen photos of as well is um, the little at-foot joeys staying by their mothers as they're strung up on the back of the shooter's utes. And, I, yeah, I've got a picture in my head of that that I've seen of just this little one there next to all the dead bodies. And it breaks my heart because I'm the mother of a toddler and I just imagine <laughs> what would happen if she was left to fend for herself. This is, you know, might be getting a little bit philosophical, but, you know, so often people say, oh, we shouldn't anthropomorphize other animals. But to me, that's just ridiculous, like to think that humans have some sort of monopoly over emotions and, and social connections when, you know, that's, that's what it makes us inherently, you know, animal. That's what we have there for survival. Because, you know, you can watch a kangaroo mum putting up with her joey and you know watch me putting up with my kid having a tantrum and god knows if we didn't love them with all our hearts we wouldn't put up with it <laughs> so yeah I, I very much you know I, I see my own child in these joeys and I see my own family in theirs and but, you know that's why I care so much yeah there's a really interesting article in the guardian early last year I think it was and what I found interesting about it was the article was saying that a study had revealed that kangaroos actually interact with their carers and it was like what the what the because of course they interact with their carers what and it just for me it wasn't so much the insight that kangaroos interact with their carers the insight was the attitude that believed that kangaroos were incapable of interacting with humans and that is that 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 was the standpoint that the research started from I found that so distressing you know uh, for each and every one of these joeys I have to become mum and I take on a two-year commitment 
plus the you know once we release them they hang around we had an incident recently and we were asked what was demanded of us you know so what did you pay for your kangaroo it's not you know it, 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 that the kangaroo wasn't worth anything because you didn't pay for it you don't own it and that to me was incredible that an animal's value, and this is in rural Victoria, that an animal's value is dependent on its the price paid by a human for it. And the answer was, well, we paid $2,000 to raise and rear it. When did you spend that much on your dog lately? One thing people need to understand is that if they do call for help, um, there are data, so we can catch a lot of these joeys where the mother, well, it's not a lot, but we catch, you know, a number of these joeys. That if, if a kangaroo is hit and you know that there's an at-foot joey somewhere, please call for help because we've got data and we've got experienced rescuers with nets. Um, I've seen the phenomenon where they'll come up and jump into a pouch, but I've also seen, you know, we've, I've also spent seven, eight hours lying in the grass waiting for a joey to come back to mum and they do come back to mum wallabies may not come back to mum but kangaroo joeys do and they will hang around the corpse for days so you know if a kangaroo is killed and you know there's an at-foot joey please do not remove that carcass but set the carcass up so that the joey can return to mum and a data can get a shot into the rear, you know, the, the flank. I know exactly what you mean about spending hours looking for an at-foot joey. Look, it's important that we get this information. There are um, easy avenues, especially now with uh, the internet, to get all types of information. But the best information comes from the people who are actually out there fighting the issues caring for the wildlife. Tonight on the program, we have Alyssa Wormold from the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance. And of course, Helen Round from the East <laughs> Trentham Wildlife Shelter. I don't know. They're sort of like a jumbled couple of things here. But, um, you know, in terms of the code suggesting that shooters wait for an at-foot joey to come back, um, they'll never do that because time is money for them. They're not going to sit around waiting for a joey to return to its dead mother. Um, and something that people might not be aware of as well, if they are checking a pouch, um, that if there is a long teat, um, that that indicates an output joey, um, you know, if, if they not don't know what they're looking for. And the other thing I was wanting to point out as well was so, along with the study about them not playing anymore, the joey's not playing, there was also anecdotal evidence from the Kangaroos Alive Sanctuary that where all the big males had been killed, the young male joeys, they started acting like wallabies because there was only wallaby males around um, and so they didn't have that sort of father figure to take over the care of them and show them how to be a male kangaroo so they started acting like a male wallaby and I just think that it really points out that we really have no idea what all this relentless killing is actually doing not only to their genetic integrity but also to their um to their behavior and how that's going to affect their survival in the long term that's an interesting interaction um, because oh, I know a couple of swamp wallabies I don't want kangaroos to act like that's for sure <laughs> Uh, Helen's laughing. You know about swamp wallabies. What, do you know what they call them <laughs> up in Queensland? 
No, I have no idea. Stinkers. You know, my partner, every time we get a wallaby, he goes, oh, poor, you stink. <laughs> yep, that's and- why. <laughs> yeah. that, I don't know. They have a unique smell, and as my nine-year-old grandson told me, it's the pheromones, Granddad. It's the pheromones. Oh, oh you can thank him for educating me too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, they're, they're, they do have a distinctive smell, and kangaroos don't particularly like swamp wallabies because swamp wallabies don't play by rules. They make up their own. <laughs> Wallaby joeys enjoy torturing the kangaroos that they're raised with. They will jump in the pouches with the kangaroos and go, the kangaroo goes, no, I don't like this. And the wallaby goes, so what? <laughs> I'm here. Look, we've lo- yeah. I've lost track of this. Some of this will actually go to air because it's important for listeners to understand that one on my screen in front of me is a wildlife carer and rescuer, someone who dedicates, well, I'm taking a guess from 6 a.m. to midnight feeding animals. Uh, and then she has her own life on top of that. We've got a, another person who's a campaigner for an organisation that's just had a massive win today and must be over the moon, but spends the time here to get the big message across. Helen and Alyssa, thank you so much for being a part of this program. I'm not cutting you short now. We've still got more time to cover anything you wish, but I just wanted to say thank you because towards the end of the interview, we get rushed, I run out of time, and I forget. But thank you very much for everything that both of you do. Look, I'd want to say a thank you to Alyssa because traditionally the kangaroo battle, as the great Laurie Levy said to me not long ago, he said to me that the problem with the kangaroo battle is that we send our medics into care, I mean, into fight. We don't have soldiers, that the people who are spending 6 a.m. to midnight doing the feeds and doing the care are also the people that are doing the campaigning and we're broken and we're tired and we have PTSD. There's no faster way to get PTSD than to love Eastern Grey Kangaroos. It's only been recently that we've had, you know, people like Alyssa who have come in as the soldiers for kangaroos. I can't tell you how eternally grateful we are to have someone like Alyssa who has so much energy and so much knowledge and and is a quick thinker and a proactive campaigner in fighting the battle for kangaroos because we medics are tired and we're not soldiers. Alyssa's an infantry in herself. So I just want to say a special thank you to her and for the people that she works with and Glyn and the others that they all rally together and do what we we can't do as well as the you know on top of the caring it's it's quite a revolution oh well you brought a tear to my eye because i mean helen's (laughs) a big hero of mine so i uh, yeah (laughs) to say the least and helen absolutely is a force unto herself and very much a fighter as well as a carer but i'm so grateful and honored to be able to take anything off your plate because you do so much and all the carers do and I learn you know we've got to work in tandem you know the people who can do the campaigning versus the people who are out in the field who are seeing all this horrific stuff and you know all I can say is a big thank you to everyone who's who's out there doing this work because it's heartbreaking and it's hard and amazing as well but you know neither of us can can do what each other do with without 
you know, all the support that we have from within the wildlife community. And you're all amazing people to dedicate your lives and open your phones to all these amazing little critters. And yeah, I just absolutely, um, you know, I love you to bits, Helen. And I've learned pretty much everything I've learned about campaigning, I've learned from Helen, incidentally. So yeah, you can believe it. <laughs> and thank you to you as well, Rob, just to joining with a love face. But I love what you're doing, you know, making, helping us get this, this out to a wider audience. We really appreciate it. The important thing is that people realise that Helen and Alyssa are real people with real lives. Well, Helen doesn't because she's a wildlife carer. She surrendered her life a long time ago. (laughs) But we're trying to make fun of it because uh, on top of everything else, I mean, day to day, we're we're facing horrific deaths of native wildlife, either attending at a rescue or not all animals that reach shelters survive because of their injuries and, and other reasons. And Alyssa facing reports of uh, horrific number numbers of deaths. So for us to be able to get together and do a radio program, one, it's great that technology allows us to do it. And two, that we share our experiences with you, the listener, because this is a real issue being run by real people. All we can ask you to do is you've heard the program, do a little bit of research go and have a look at the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance uh, page, the new website, which we'll hear about in a moment, and have a look at the articles. Do a little bit of research and get involved. I was just going to say, you know, um, to the dear listener, the wider community, you know, there's things you can do. We need more carers. So, you know, if you're interested in becoming a carer, take the time to visit a shelter and to help out at the shelter and get involved and possibly become a carer or, you know, to become an advocate or a campaigner because we desperately need you, you know, and if not you, then who? Uh, look, I've got an interview coming up with Andy Medic, and Andy is the first uh, state MP uh, that has been really involved with carers, wildlife issues, And on our interviews, we've got to be honest, we've been bagging the uh, Victorian state government because they deserve it. They've done a terrible (laughs) job. But at least there's one voice there for animals, all animals. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm looking forward to that interview with Andy Medic. So there are a couple of good politicians and I want to find them and talk to them. Yeah, and Andy and his whole team, you know, they've been so incredible and such a great big support to us at the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance and in, in our campaigns before um, when we were saved the Kinley Kangas as well. Um, you know, Andy's been been there with us throughout those. So, yeah, big fans of Andy. Andy's team is so dynamic. They're really great people, you know, Georgie, Bruce, et cetera, that work behind the scenes. But um, also, you know, Andy Medic is for the Animal Justice Party, but... That doesn't mean that he's a single-issue parliamentarian. He's done great things for humans and animals within the you know the electorate that he represents. Anything else to finish up? Oh, sure, yeah. So Victorian Kangaroo Alliance um, has just launched its new website, which we're very excited about, um, and that is at www.vickangas.org. Um, so please check it out. It's still a bit of a work in progress in terms of I've got to add more to the gallery and more to the documents, but... All the essentials are there, um, so please go and have a look. And, yeah, so thank you. A pleasure, Alyssa. And, Helen, thank you very much for all the work you do with our wildlife. Once you see a problem, you have to fix it. So, you know, I don't, I don't see myself stopping. 
Yeah. How can you walk away from such a magnificent animal that needs us so much? I hope we've given some people something to think about tonight. Of course, over the two programs, we covered the horrific nature of this commercial killing industry that is damaging our kangaroos. It is a threatening process. And we've covered, as Helen called them, the ghosts, the at-foot joeys that are just living in that grey area, whether they're a part of the quota or they're not a part of the quota, are they processed into dog food or not? The easiest way to sort out that question is to implore your state member to stop the shooting. Simple solution. You know, for Australia needs to understand that of all our macropods, seven species are extinct. Seven species are critically endangered. Ten species are endangered and 29 species are listed as threatened and vulnerable. And some of those threatened and vulnerable species are in harvest quotas. Australia has the highest rate of mammalian extinction in the world. No one wipes out mammals as quickly as we do. And we have with the fastest accelerating extinction rate and everything was considered safe and abundant once. 